Okay, so we are December 30th, lesson 2.5, Ruth and Nick, about the game theory of health. Three, two, one. Hi again, friends. Welcome back to your Foot Nerd program. Today we are unpacking lesson 2.5, the game theory of health. And by now you have had a good amount of time with the material. And so you know us, we're Nick and Ruth. And um, we wanna thank you for being here and for taking responsibility for your health, which we will never stop thanking you for. Um, and we welcome you to this lesson. So in today's lesson, we're gonna make the case for the importance of understanding the definition of game theory, but game theory specifically as it relates to health and like the big, picture, um, institutional picture and how we all participate in that and how you can use your curiosity, your knowledge and your experimentation in your own health to um, empower you to make strategic decisions in your own life around what this means. So we're gonna start um, and we're gonna dig into what is game theory. So I'm gonna make the first attempt Go for it. Um, okay, so first I want to give a little tiny bit of background in that I didn't know what the hell game theory was. <laughs> I didn't either I, at one point. <laughs> I actually, seriously, I actually was trying to go back in my the history of my life, which I realize now that I might have been like a pretty happy-go-lucky, just nerdy, sheltered human. But I did remember hearing like tiny little inputs like I've heard game theory when I went about my when my chess friends like I had in high school I had friends who were in the chess club and stuff like that so I've heard it in passing but I never took any interest in how it applied in my own life until I listened to the podcast between you and Mike when I entered the foot nerd program and then I was like holy shit there's a lot going on here and this is starting to uncover more questions that I have and so um, now that brings us to recording this lesson today, which as I was preparing, I was like, oh, great. Now I have even more questions. So we're going to unpack definitions first, and then we're going to dig in to um, what all of this means and why it's important. So I want to first start with what, like, I have this tendency when I read definitions to do this thing where I'm like, yeah, 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 I've heard that. I know that I get that. And then I don't spend the time. So I was like, let me just see how I can combine definitions that actually make sense to me. And I realized that criteria are always um, a really good, they're, they're a good organizational tool. So um, I came up with a combination, the game, that game theory in general is the mathematical study of strategic decision-making. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I do that every day. Um, but then I was like, well, let me and dig that in. Sound, I just want to put a pin in that because yeah. that sounds really like intense, but that's literally what we do every single day, right? Like when I walk on a sidewalk, I've used this example before I'm uh, the, you know, the probability of me getting hit by a car when I walk on the sidewalk is based on my previous history of not getting hit by a car. Therefore I deem it to be safe. So I am the game theory. I'm running through probabilities and determining what the best thing to do is right. And I know based on previous life experience that it's better to walk on the sidewalk than to walk in the middle of the road with a blindfold on, right? Like that is the, yeah. that is the game theory <laughs> of how to walk without getting killed. And so game, you know, it can seem very esoteric, but if you bring it into real life, it's really just reacting productively to your environment based on previous experience and incentives. Um, so yeah, yes. I just to pin that there. Yeah, that, okay. So, so can we talk about the five criteria? Because, um, 
because like I, I did see that it's like any single interaction like you just described that you are a part of can be analyzed through the game theory lens. And, uh, and so then you just gave the example of that. But then when we, we look at like the big picture of health, like, cause it's, I mean, let, it's no secret that these are incredibly confusing times in the landscape of health and sick care and making definitions and how do we work our way through this. So I just wanna say that what, what the five criteria were, that the game, this, the game includes players or actors. Number two, that the players need to interact with each other. There needs to be a reward and therefore there needs to be an incentive, right? And then we assume that players act rationally. This is an interesting one to me. Maybe we can talk about that later. And then we assume that the players act according to their own self-interest. So Nick, what's, yeah. what, what can we talk about there? So one of my favorite quotes is from a guy called <clears throat> Charlie Munger. And he says, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. And really what that is for me is this understanding that humans react and are nudged by incentives, whether we realize it or not. And so, you know, we move away from things that cause us pain and towards things that generate a reward or a perceived benefit. And so essentially game theory is understanding, like it's the study of how agents or participants in a game interact to produce outcomes within a system of incentives. And we're, 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 we don't often think within this framework. So we don't really notice incentives explicitly, but when you start to understand this framework, you start to see the incentives very obviously. Um, and so for our context, it's really about understanding the system of incentives that influence our health, right? That then this, you know, like life, if you think of life as a game, we all have to play. There's a set of rules. Some are written in law, some are not. But there's, a, there's an environment that we, we cannot be separated from the environment that we exist within. And that environment has built in a set of incentives that help usher us to act in a certain way, both from a survival perspective, from a societal perspective, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and this first came on my radar when I was a physio and I saw firsthand uh, the broken game theory of the system I was working within, right? What we call healthcare, I call sick care. Um, or, or not we call healthcare, but like the population at large acknowledges this as a healthcare system. And I was largely acknowledged as a healthcare provider, but really I was a sick care um, symptom treater, right? I had nothing to do with health. I was just there to treat symptoms of disease. And so, you know, a key assumption we have to make here is that money is a powerful motivator, right? The ultimate reward is money. It is the uh, socioeconomic unit of power or how we tokenize our time. So I think it's important to acknowledge that money is an important motivator. Um, and fundamentally as a physical therapist working in Canada, I was incentivized to treat symptoms, not to help people solve their problems. Now there's not some evil wizard that designs this system such that that's what it does. That's simply what it does based on the visible incentives I could see, right? I make money when someone comes in to see me twice a week, I do not make money from helping someone solve the problem permanently so they don't have to come see me anymore. And regardless of whether, you know, in order to run a productive, uh, viable business as a physio practice, I had to ascribe to the shit game theory that, that was a disbenefit to the people I was pretending to help that I was, I thought I was helping. And so that was just a prime example of like, okay, well, this game is broken. The way the game exists right now is broken. It incentivizes me to never actually help people solve their problems or even tell them that they can solve the problems. I wasn't even taught that in school. Therefore, it's no surprise that everyone has problems. 
And so mm -hmm. that's really the context where game theory became more relevant for me in my life. And then by understanding game theory, I started to see game theory within the realm of health beyond just the um, provider uh, system, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I see it in the grocery store where like, okay, if I react to incentives, if the cheapest food that is the most delicious is the most unhealthy and the healthiest food is not artificially made to be crazy delicious and is expensive, societally, humans will be nudged unintentionally towards buying shitty, delicious, disease-causing food. So you start to see these incentives pop up in your life around the context of health if you understand game theory. And that, that's sort of why this was an important lesson to do, because if everyone sees the game theory of sick care, number one, they can opt out of the perverse incentive system and reduce their um, risk of being swallowed by this disease-causing system. And number two, they can start to see how incentives show up in their own lives and start to acknowledge that maybe they have to understand perverse incentives in order to not be um, damaged by them. And so, yeah. you know, the game theory becomes an important concept to think of just in life in general, but especially in health. Yeah, I was so I was thinking how you were in as a physio, um, you were coming from that perspective and you started to see the issues with how the incentives were broken. Right. And then from my perspective, I, I have a couple different perspectives as a patient, but then also as, <clears throat> excuse me, like a kinesiologist and a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer, like we made money in, in working in the gym so that people would keep buying, coming to us to, like we never learned, even though we were health, we were really in the health industry and we worked as personal fitness, fitness trainers. Yeah, the fitness industry, really. But like the fitness industry supposedly would have like people's health um, sure. at the forefront of their of their um, intentions to help people with their health and get physically fit and change their eating habits and such. But we were incentivized by money too, right? So like if you're if you were making a hundred dollars an hour and your clients keep coming to you, you want them to keep coming to you. You don't want them to not need you anymore. So then right. you have it from that perspective. Um, and the assumption there probably is that if they keep coming to see you, you're good at what you're doing. You're good at what you're telling people you're doing, right? There's a reason people come see you, you know, as, as an assumption. I, yeah. As the, but if you like break that down though, what we're really good at doing, just like we talked about in the last um, lesson about like, if you watch TV, you don't get better at learning something on TV. You get better at watching TV Yes. as a, as a fitness professional, you're good at what you're do, do. You're good at, let's tell it like it is. You're good at keeping people dependent and not giving them their own source of inspiration and empowerment to actually continue on with their own health, um, outside of like being dependent on another human. Because you're not incentivized that, to do that. That's the, that, that's the, like, the unintentional reason, right? You're not incentivized to create the independent, self-sovereign health yeah. entities. You're simply like monetarily, you are not incentivized to do that. So even if that's what you want to do within the current system, you cannot do that sustainably because mm -hmm. the, the um, business model of how that works in its current iteration doesn't allow you to do that. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think business model is a very interesting is interesting terminology because if we have to be really honest, well, first of all, you mentioned that like inherently it's not like the system didn't mean to be evil. It's just that we made, it seems like from what I near as I can tell, like as changes were being made, you know, from the, in the early 1900s and stuff, technology and pharmaceuticals and like 
public health, like in the big institutional picture started shifting and changing, the landscape started shifting and changing, like gearing towards like science and medicines and pharmaceuticals. And then there was money to be made. And then I think Mike even brought up like how it happened in these like, like tiny little steps where we didn't, we didn't know like that this is what the, we were creating, which right. is a mess of terrible incentives for human, true human health. But we, um, but we're here. And so like, we're here saying that we have to like open our eyes and look through fresh eyes at what the, what it actually is. And so without being too harsh, you talked about a business model. It's a business model to extract surplus value out of humans by keeping them dependent on a system so that we can sell more shit, whether it's, you know, that's the bottom line. So going from there, um, where do we go from there? (laughs) Well, you know, we can talk about Definitely, like with, deeper in the context of health, I think you have two, and we kind of mentioned it before, you have two um, sort of structures, right? You have the provider um, incentives, and then you have individual incentives. And I think those can be treated as, um, those can be delineated into separate things. So the current provider incentive, for context, I live in Canada, I come from a physio background, but I talk to a lot of doctors who have an even more exaggerated version of this. So it's really no different. And I've also spoken to doctors in the States and in Australia, and it doesn't seem to be that different there either. Um, the current provider incentive is you get paid for service, not for results. So you get paid to see people and they only come see you when there's a problem. You do not get paid to make them better. You get paid to just see them. So that's one problem, right? So the incentive there is to see more people more frequently, not actually to make them better in any way, right? Whether that's, in a, like I said, I don't think that's intentional, but that's just how it is. We're just calling a spade a spade right now. Yeah. The improved provider incentive in terms of how do we update this game theory is you get paid for results, not for service. So you get paid to actually help people improve their health, which means you need some sort of metric to measure improvements in health. But just aside from that paid for value, paid for effectiveness, not just paid for service is a better provider model, better incentives from an individual level. There's no current real incentive apart from just feeling good, but most people don't even know how it feels to feel good. So there's no current incentive structure for health for humans. Right. Um, uh, an idea, a thought experiment I often go through is like, well, if you attach an incentive to something, you create a a societal nudge to bring people in one direction. Um, you know, like a portion of the taxes I pay in Canada is to cover the health system. If I'm not using the health system because I'm, you know, the quote unquote health system, let's call it the sick care system. Portion of my taxes goes to cover the, the overhead costs of our countrywide sick care system. If I'm healthy and I'm not using the sick care system, why don't I get some of that tax money I'm paying into the sick care system back? Because I'm not actually using that, right? I'm paying for other people, other sick people to be taken care of. So what if there was some sort of metric to measure health um, that was administered by, you know, a vetted professional and done with good, good faith, right? When there's a whole game theory around that of how people can, um, essentially cheat, try and cheat the system. So you have to really build a robust system resilient to cheating. But what if the better my health was, if I'm in good health and I don't use the sick care system, why don't I get a tax refund at the end of the year for being in good health? That is an individual game theoretical nudge to be healthy. Now there's a reward for being healthy, right? There's no- I would be so rich. I'd be like a wealthy, wealthy woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like a subtle nudge like that. It can be so powerful. So, you know, Incentives are everywhere. Car insurance. Yeah. Yeah. You get rewarded for driving safely by having lower car insurance premiums. Right. 
Uh, a health tax rebate is literally that same structure. You get rewarded for good health, right? Um, and you know, I think disease prevention happens at the individual level. So disease prevention has to do with the individual game theoretical framework uh, around health. And disease resolution happens at the provider level because there's always going to be people that have problems. So we need, we need a system of training people to be good at helping others restore health, mm-hmm. not to like treat symptoms, but to restore health. So I think those are the two kind of realms. When we talk about the game theory applied to health, you have the individual game theory elements, you have the um, provider treatment related game theory. And both of those need to be acknowledged, reviewed, revised, and sort of looked at honestly and be like, well, what is the simplest way we can get this to, to go in the better direction? And so those are just two examples, but I think that's a good framework to think about things. It's like, what are my individual game theoretical elements? What is the game theory around the provision of services related to health? And how do we just be honest with acknowledging where they are now, regardless of how we got here, right? The bigger the problem, yeah. the bigger the opportunity. We have a big problem right now on many fronts. We have tons of opportunities. We just have to focus on, okay, regardless of how we got here, which I think it yeah. is good to know how we got here because it builds context yeah. for the fact that like, this was just the best we knew how to do for a long time, but it's no longer yeah. effective. Like it's literally a huge problem now. Um, and the bar is low. So small yeah. improvements might not do, but a complete like revamp of like, okay, how can we do this better so that we do it right from the start? Instead of just making, if you make something terrible, slightly better, it's still terrible. Yeah. If you really like take a observer evaluation and be like, okay, well, what is the best way to do this? Why don't we just do it that way? Even if it's really hard, it's worth it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I'm super, I've been inspired by the footnote program because of the approach that we take towards that. And just to, I had to go back in my own life, even in preparation for this, because I hadn't actually done it going through the footnote program and reflect on like misaligned incentives, because I've opted out of the, you know, it just, well, the bar is set so low that I think people in my position who have not even interacted in the, have gone to the doctor is what I want to say. Like I haven't been to the doctor even for a checkup since a really long time. Um, I don't want to say because like family members will worry and call me and be like, you got to go to the doctor. Family members <laughs> that are sick will worry, but I'll you. <laughs> exactly. But I have to, I have to tell the story because I put it in our notes and it's an important one. I was like, when was the last, when did I get dis? when did I have like red flags about the institutions that I was participating in that offered me health? And that was that like my so-called insurance for, for my work at the time, I would, was, would pay no money to go every six months and get like a checkup or whatever. So I was probably, I was in fantastic health, um, but I was like in my twenties and I would like run and play. And I was like super happy person. Um, and I went for my blood, my whatever, six months, I didn't even ever ask any questions. Cause I just trusted that this is what you had, you had insurance through your employer. So you went to the doctor and you got these blood panels and they said, yes, you're healthy. No, you're not. This is what you need. And the blood panel, when I was going through, like, I had like maybe five or 10 minutes with the doctor. She came in with an intake form, looked at it. Um, took my blood, I came back and then she was looking at her notes again. And she said, um, I see here because I, I always like when this part that they asked, do you smoke? I was like, well, sometimes. <laughs> and, and so I said, yes, cause I wasn't going to lie. And so she said, well, how often? And I said, well, probably like maybe once, 
every couple of weeks, one or two cigarettes when I go out with my friends and we're drinking and having a great time, but I enjoy it. I didn't say that I couldn't quit, which I wasn't addicted and I could quit whenever I needed to. And I did. Um, but it was like a social thing because it was, it was a novelty, a, not a habit. It was like, yeah, it was a novelty, not a habit. Exactly. So she said, I'm going to prescribe you Wellbutrin. And I was like, what's that? And she said, well, it's an antidepressant, but it helps you to quit smoking. And I was like, <laughs> okay, God. I'm not even kidding. And the thing was, is I trusted her for when she was a woman, for some reason, just like she was, I wasn't, I just liked her more and I could relate to her more because she was a woman doctor. And so I liked her. And then immediately I was like, she doesn't know anything about me. I'm not depressed. I'm not addicted to smoking. And then Nikki Pop, I had to, that's so crazy, but I have to read you. So I left and then I looked at Wellbutrin and I, these were the side effects. I mean, there were, I can't 20 of them. I can't pronounce, but there was like 25, maybe 40 symptoms, like common side effects of Wellbutrin symptoms of anxiety, agitation, pharyngitis, constipation, concentration, difficulty, dizziness, insomnia, tremor, anorexia, weight loss, palpitations, nausea. If you have any of these, call your doctor right away. Diarrhea, acute abdominal pain, nervousness, dream disorder, chest pain, fainting, fast pounding, irregular heartbeat, hearing problems, ringing in the ears, severe headache, mental mood changes, uncontrolled movements, unusual weight loss or gain. Tell your doctor right away if you get muscle pain, tenderness, weakness. Get help immediately right away if you have eye pain, swelling, redness, widened pupils, vision changes, um, rash, itching, swelling, severe dizziness, or trouble breathing. <laughs> and I oh my left. God. Seriously, Real story. I... that's so crazy, Ruth. Like just to to like take a sec and marinate on that. So you were given a drug which has a massive amount of really serious side effects for a disease you don't have by a doctor who knows virtually nothing about you. This is great. This is how everyone's fucked up. Like, so I didn't so take crazy. it. Because I didn't take it. I didn't even look up the, the signs and symptoms or the side effects of the drug at the time. I didn't, but I had the good sense to be like, I'm not taking this. Like I'm not depressed and I don't want to quit smoking. It's fun on Friday nights every now and again. Sure. So anyway, that was my example of like, then I never, I never, I stopped going to the doctor because I opted out of the system at that point. So that's right. my, um, I think that's my like example of, unknowingly understanding like how to <laughs> not walk down the street blindfolded to get hit by a car. Yeah. You'd probably be better off if you did that compared to taking Wellbutrin. Um, so yeah, I think, I think medicine almost has to be parsed as to like, okay, there's acute care medicine, emergency medicine, which um, is beautiful and useful. Beautiful. If I break my yes. arm. Uh, I want to go see a doctor to get it reset, get a cast put on. Like I want to do all that stuff. Absolutely. Um, but when I have anything that isn't an acute emergency, uh, I don't want to go see a doctor because it's you, you, you actually end up being misinformed, which is like really a shame to say, really sucks to say. And if there's any docs listening to this, I'm not saying every doctor, but just based on what I've been told from people who went through medical school, who explained to me what they learned, they learn nothing about health and they learn nothing about root cause treatment of disease. It's all symptom-based management, usually implementing drugs. So essentially medicine has been co-opted by drug companies. Um, and so it actually becomes dangerous to go to the doctor, which is like, it's really sad think, to say. 
but yeah. and I th- and I think in like the doctor's defense, like I, I think like having these conversations is important to protect our doctors. Like what you're, you're what yeah. you're saying isn't like an insult to doctors. If I were a doctor in this situation, like we yeah. want to unburden, like you just yeah. said, if you get a broken arm, if your shoulder gets dislocated, all the emergency things, like you want to be able to have doctors and their staff unburdened by the daily onslaught of people coming in that don't really need to be there. Like it would be so, so I guess like, I would like to change the language even that we are in favor of protecting our doctors to do what they do best and what they were trained to do. So if we could like sort out and tease out and every person could have like, take responsibility for their health on a day-to-day basis we we could like let our doctors live healthy lives and not be have not have having these treacherous sort of lives where they don't make a good living and they feel unappreciated and exhausted and such you know yeah and i, I mean all the docs i know know this they, they they've diagnosed right. the problem accurately right they they see it yeah. they're still you know, the shame is, is that a lot of them are powerless to escape the system because the game theory of medicine is that we impose an artificial scarcity, we charge massive amounts of money, and doctors then are essentially handcuffed to practice in a certain way or else they, they are not allowed to practice and they have no way of repaying the crazy loans that they had to take out to get to medical school. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like a it's, a, it's basically a trap. Um, and once again, probably not intentional, but it's a mess. And if we don't talk about it, it never gets fixed. So, yeah, um, yeah I think I think this whole notion that, okay, if outcomes follow incentives, mm-hmm. how do we incentivize the effective um, provision of health services that help people restore their health? And, you know, this, I think a fundamental thing that we need to talk about, because if we don't talk about it, it's a, a huge missing ingredient. And it's some sort of standardized metric for measuring health, right? Mm-hmm. The definition of health is subjective. Um, if we can have an open discussion with people who understand health deeply about, okay, well, what are the main elements of health and how could we design, you know, um, I've had this in my notes for a while, the global health metric, right? Like how can we design a 60 second survey that gets a really good high level overview of like, what is the state of this person's health and incorporates elements from, you know, like objective elements, subjective elements, uh, at the end of the day, a person's perception of their health is actually a really good indicator of their health because health is subjective. Um, and, you know, if we had this measuring tool, it's called the global health metric, and it's a validated, objective, reliable measurement to assess health status, and it can be completed by individuals in 60 seconds. This becomes a very useful tool to track outcomes. And if you're going to create a new game that gives good outcomes, you need some sort of measuring stick to, to actually determine whether those outcomes are being reached or not. And so, you know, the unfortunate part is that there's zero incentive to create this right now, right? Based on the current game theory, it's, it's the system is rigged against things like this being funded because it goes against the bulk of the funding that's available for research, right? Like to develop a reliable global health metric takes a, like a good amount of good quality research by really smart people. Those people have to be paid. No one is going to fund that research to disprove the effectiveness of all the things that they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you know, assuming that the GHM was funded and there was some sort of metric, it allows the alignment of compensation with results, with effectiveness, right? The health guide who sees someone and achieves a large improvement in someone's global health metric in a short period of time is rewarded with more business and can eventually charge more for their time because they are showing that they are more effective, right? Degree holders who treat symptoms and see people for many visits with low increases in the global health metric um, get less business 
And the ideal is that there's feedback loops in there so that if people has a, if someone has a low effectiveness as a health guide, there's feedback loops to say, here are areas that you're uh, maybe don't understand deeply enough to be effective. And here are the tools to be able to update your knowledge, right? It's not mm -hmm. like, oh, you suck. You're out. You're good. You get paid. It's like, well, if you're not being effective, here's why here's some tools to learn. And it, you know, everyone should have a chance to become an effective uh, health guide. And, you know, it, at that point, it becomes profitable to be good at helping people with their health, mm -hmm. which is totally the opposite of where it is now. But that just that, that system design that nudges people to, if you are better at helping people, and the people are the ones who say whether you're good or not based on this metric that's validated, um, then it is profitable to be good at helping people with their health, which allows you to either make more money or to work less while making the same amount of money. This is the holy grail of health, right? Incentivize effectiveness, um, have a peer validated system so that it can't be cheated. And eventually we all get healthy because the system incentivizes for us to be healthy and for others to help us get healthy. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, that kind of introduces the possibility of, of becoming a health guide. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a health guide is like, you know, like what is the dream job for someone who, so the prerequisite to that is like, you have to take responsibility for your health. That's why the footnote program is a prerequisite to the health guide certification, because in order to help others with their health, you have to have first taken responsibility uh, for your health, which requires a basic understanding of health. Um, and so this whole notion of becoming a health guide is really, how do you, how do we create a valid? Cause the, the whole notion of a degree when, when degrees first started was, okay, if I need help with my health and I want to go see my do a doctor, I want to make sure someone's vetted that person to say that they're actually a doctor and they know what they're talking about. Unfortunately, the vetting mechanism has been co-opted such that going to see a doctor doesn't mean they actually know anything about health. Um, they just know what drugs to give you for what problems often. And the system doesn't let them see you for long enough to actually understand your problem. But with that aside, you know, I think there's an op every problem is an opportunity. If we don't have any mechanism that acts as a valid proxy, as a valid indicator that someone understands health, then why don't we just think about how we could create it regardless of whether it can be done or not by a small group, it's probably worth trying either way. Um, and so, you know, this. This whole sick care system um, goes against health. The notion that to design a health system is actually not that complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Like what are, you know, it's like, what are the elements of a health system at a high level? Put very simply, number one, like I think there's three elements. Number one, high quality, free, accessible information for individuals. So we have to give people information to take care of themselves. That's like pillar number one. Pillar number two, a method to validate people who understand health and can be effective at helping others with their health. That's the number two. And then number three, some sort of digital marketplace to connect people who need help with people who can help and have been validated as being effective helpers. And within that marketplace, you have some sort of peer validated mechanism where, okay, if Ruth, if you're a health guide listed on the marketplace, I'm someone who needs help with my health. I contact you. We engage in a relationship. There's a value transfer. I pay you for your services. You help me achieve better health. I then rate how, how much you helped me. Maybe I fill out a GHM or maybe it's just subjectively like, yes, Ruth helped me get a better understanding of health and I feel healthier. So I rate you in some way. That's one element of data from one engagement. And the more people you help, the more ratings you get, the more you strengthen your reputational status social reputational status, which was um, validated by people you helped um, 
to be saying that you're good at doing your job of helping people with their health. And I think that, that, that whole notion that at a high level, it's pretty simple to design that in actually, you know, in practice, it's, it's more difficult, but it is still doable. So I think at the end of the day, I was just going to say that it require. I was, I was smiling because it requires um, a person who's, who's going down this journey of becoming a health guide. You talked about the bar being set very low right now. I think there's something in there about how anonymous, like huge numbers of people and practitioners are so that like you, in, if you're working in the, in the world as a doctor right now, you have a lot of a certain anonymity to do your job within the broken system, but you're asking, and you had, you, you had me at, at health guide at becoming a health, you had, you had me at hello, Nick. but um, the, the idea of like, Becoming a health guide in this way requires a, per, a person to not only really love working at this craft of helping people, but it also requires you to be brave and to put yourself out there and to uh, be open to receiving feedback. And I think that this is something that is like very super novel and super uncommon right now in, in, in the world. So I, it's just funny, like how the numbers increasingly kind of dwindle to who is actually like going to pursue this high bar X, you know, like this is, this is, this is like radically um, changing a direction that we're going. And, and, and I think it's really important to note how it's so great to work in small numbers and groups, because as you know, you get past like Dunbar's number and so on and so forth. As the numbers get bigger, then there's that anonymity and there's more loopholes and more cheating and more like the resilience of the structure goes down, I guess is my point. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, in the future where there is a health guide, where there's a health system made of health guides connecting with people who need help, I actually foresee the minority of health guides being pre-existing health professionals. Yes. And here's why. I went through the massively uncomfortable cognitive dissonance of realizing that I paid a shitload of money and thought I knew health because I paid all this money and got this piece of paper. And I came to the realization I knew nothing about health. And before I could even learn about health, I had to unlearn everything I thought I knew about health. And that takes a certain kind of person. I know many people who have done this also, but I also know many who are just no, have zero interest because they're, it's too uncomfortable to make that admission that you're actually not doing what you set out to do. Um, and it's going to be hard to, to switch things around, right? You're going to have to admit that you probably didn't get the value from the money you spent. And that's all subjective, right? Like I, I, I value my physio degree because I had to get, go through that to get here. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that probably. Um, but you have to admit that like, okay, well, my degree didn't teach me health and I'm not actually practicing health. And, um, I'm actually disempowering people and that like kind of stings a little bit, but from that realization comes, well, what can I start to do better now? Well, I have to reevaluate my own health and improve that. And then I can actually understand health. And then I can seek to align with a community who's actually doing something to try and build a better system at a small scale to start with. Yeah. And, you know, the, this whole notion that our, 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 like our medical system is really a sick care system. Like it makes a lot more, I heard someone make this analogy one time and it was, I, I really hit home for me is like waiting until you're really sick to go see a doctor is like waiting for your engine to blow up before you ever think about getting an oil change. And even sillier, 
What if you took your car for an oil change and you got turned away because your engine hadn't exploded yet? That would be <laughs> super silly. That would be the worst mechanic ever. But like, I know people who have gone to see their doctor and they're like, oh, I don't feel good. Something's not right. They do a bunch of tests. They're like, yeah, you don't have a disease. Come back when you have a disease basically is what they said. Like, I can't help you until you have a, a significant disease, right? Like the, the funniest is the diabetes threshold for blood sugars. It's like if you're 0.1 below some arbitrary threshold, you're fine. If you're over that, you're full-blown diabetic, like fucked up. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think this actually makes sense. And I, I think it's intellectually dishonest to think that people, really smart people actually believe this is working. Yeah. But I think they're stuck because they don't know how to fix it. And I, I think, the, you know, well, I think conversations. It, and this is an important conversation. So we've talked at the system level. But um, before we started recording, I asked you if we could talk like at the individual level um, as well. And I think that um, Dr. Furman had a really good analogy about um, wholesome food and vegetables and like making a diet change um, when you go to restaurants. And he was saying that until people consistently start asking for steamed broccoli, there's no incentive for the restaurant to change the way that they're, that they're, if they're only serving fried broccoli and nobody ever asks for steamed broccoli, then they don't have any incentive to change what they serve. So his, I remembered so clearly he was saying, and I always, I'm, I'm one of those people that don't really like to speak out until I'm ready. And then when I do, it's a full force. But I was like, there's no way I could stand up to the restaurant business, my server and ask for steamed broccoli if it's not on the menu. But then he was saying like, the more people that ask for wholesome things in restaurants, they will start to serve wholesome things. And now that was 15 years ago. And now you see this in restaurants everywhere. And my point about this is that the more that we as foot nerds and people who are taking full responsibility for our health and understanding game theory and how we participate in that game theory and we and how much actual control we have and should want to have in, in our own health outcomes, we can start asking for different things until we, number one, have a whole new system that's in place. Because I think this all happens like in, in like a web, like I don't know, like node likes, right? There's like all kinds of things happening for the better at different points, whether it's at the system level, small grassroots, things like this happening, and then at the individual, at the individual level. But I think as individual people, we have to recognize where we've given our power away and understanding game theory of health and knowing that we have the power to ask for or to take, like we always talk about our health, our good health is our birthright. And so anything to support that is going to be, is our birthright. I mean, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. Just when you were talking about insurance, it's like nobody rewards you for being a badass ninja, like 54 year old woman who never uses the healthcare system and doesn't impose any burden on the healthcare system whatsoever. But there, but, but like I, there are no rewards for that, except for like being, being happy and healthy and free in the world. So yeah, I just wanted to, it's harder to be healthy than it is to be diseased in a disease centric culture. So, exactly. you know, like, Boom. And, and what's funny is like at the individual level is actually where anything changes, right? Like as a consumer of food, uh, where you spend your money and what you spend your money on actually plays into the game theoretical framework of food providers, right? It's one piece of data. If no one is, you know, the incentive for a food provider is to make money. If you're not spending money on 
you know, food that comes in a box and you are spending money that on food that comes from a plant, their um, incentive is to provide less box food, more plant food. But, but the collective understanding of health is a reflection of what food is provided. And the fact that there's more junk food places than whole food places, there's more fake food than real food in grocery stores is an indicator of the collective understanding of what food is good, what food should I buy? Because that's just a byproduct of where they're spending their money. So I think, yeah, I think at an individual level, the choices you make with your, yourself, right? Like where, where you give your attention, mm -hmm. um, what money, what food you spend your money on, um, you know, all these things are playing into this collective market. Um, and we're forming the incentives as well. And I think if we can impact, if we can change our own perspective, then we start to give different data into the system of incentives societally. And if we can help people understand that, if we're all understanding of the current game theory and how it's broken and what a better system would be, then we can all start to, to nudge and change our individual actions just slightly. Not like a, not like a full system flip, but like it starts with people just changing their behaviors. If people understand health better, they buy healthier food, more people will sell healthier food because it's in there. It is an incentive to do that, right? The market mm -hmm. is saying we want healthy food, but until the market wants that, we're just going to keep providing crap because clearly that's what the market wants. It's what's convenient. It's what hacks us um, because we're designed to want these unhealthy foods, but we're, we don't understand that they're devoid of nutrients. And there's a consequence to that. I don't think we connect my bad health is related to the food I eat. That's the problem, right? And if mm -hmm. more people understand that, make the connection, change the behaviors, then we create a different game theory around food in that case. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap this lesson up, we're going to talk about some experiments. Um, and, you know, I think a good experiment to do just to kind of tune in or reflect on your surroundings is to identify perverse incentives related to health in your life. So, in, and these can be very simple, right? Like literally you can write down your health log. Unhealthy food is cheap and abundant. Real food is scarce and expensive. Therefore, the perverse incentive is that cheap, unhealthy food is incentivized, right? So once you start, it's hard to start identifying these initially, but once you start and you, do, you are applying that framework, it's, you see them everywhere. Um, and, you know, even writing down another good experiment is to write down some suggestions on how you can realign um, the perverse incentives that you're seeing related to health. So based on the previous example of unhealthy food being cheap and abundant and real food being scarce and expensive, um, you know, a, a potential proposal would be to, to apply a health tax to ultra processed food and use that to subsidize real food. Right. So I think going through these mental models of like, okay, here's the problem. I see it now. Uh, this is nudging disease. Here's an example of what we could do to flip that and nudge it towards health. Like, I think that's a really good experiment to do because it's a real life practical application of seeing game theory and then um, creatively thinking of how we can realign the game theory. Um, identify perverse incentives related to healthcare, right? That whether in your life or in the life of people that you speak to, uh, discuss perverse incentives related to quote unquote healthcare slash sick care with a provider that you know or that you see and just start the discussion, right? Like just have a conversation about it. Um, and a good reflection, I think that would be useful to sort of um, talk about within your pod is like, what's the ideal life and way to be paid as a health guide? So if you want to make your primary profession, helping others with their health, what does that look like? How many people do you see a day? How do you charge them? How much, how long do you see them for? What, you know, like, how does that work? Because I have my own idea and people are developing their own ideas, but I think 
if we all get our own ideas, and this is what we've sort of done leading up to now with the health guide certification with existing nerds. But, um, you know, if you have a good, rich conversation with your pod, maybe record it and have it be a layer two to share with the rest of the tribe. So those are the experiments that I had written down. Well, that, 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 those are good experiments. I don't think I can, I don't think I can build on that. So we're going to just say, we hope you found this lesson helpful. Um, we want you to know that listening to this is proof of work and we hope you have a spunky conversation with your pod mates about it and we will catch you in the next lesson. So ciao for now.